This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you on a fine summer's day. Later on in today's episode, I'll be answering a couple of reader questions. And as always, if you have a question or comment that you'd like to hear me address on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper, head on over to my website, gwencooper.com. And that's G-W-E-N as in Nancy, C-O-O-P-E-R.com. And you will find both a page dedicated to this podcast that has a comment section. You can head on in there and leave comments. I do respond to all comments personally. I attempt to do so in a relatively timely fashion. You you might have to wait a couple of days before I reply, but I do respond. And of course, there is a contact page also on my website. There's contact form, so you can send me an email and ask any questions that you might wish to ask or just let me know that you're listening. I'm starting to hear from more and more of you guys as as the weeks go by, and that is fantastic. And it is uh, good to know that I am not just howling into the void. So yeah. Come on over to the website, check it out, gwencooper.com, and, and get in touch. And, uh, you know, I so this is not a podcast, obviously. We, we, we talk about cats here. We, we do not talk about the weather here. But it is pretty hot here in New Jersey. And I know that this, as hot as this is, and, and we're somewhere in the 90s today, and it's still June, P.S. It's not even like late June. It certainly is not August. And I know, though, that that as hot as it is here, that it is still nothing compared to what y'all out on in, in the western half of the country are going through. I, I think I read, and I'm sure this is correct, that that it was over 100 degrees in Denver. Denver is not one of those places like Phoenix or, or Death Valley or, or even Palm Springs that you think of as routinely reaching hundred plus temperatures, especially so early in the season. And so to actually kind of tie this back into the cats, I, I would remind those of you with indoor outdoor cats that if it is too hot to be safe for you outside, it is probably also too hot for your cat to be outside. Cats do like it a little warmer than we do, but just be careful. Keep in mind that cats are also vulnerable to heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Keep an eye on them. Make sure that there's plenty of water, fresh, cool water available to them at all times. And just make sure in general that they are a part of whatever plans you have to to keep yourself and your families safe and comfortable as we wait for this heat wave, hopefully, uh, to break relatively soon. So, So Lawrence and I doing our part to escape the heat a little bit. We actually, this past week took our first trip away 
uh, since December of 2019. So so we actually left the the immediate vicinity, the state of New Jersey, basically. Well, actually, no, we stayed in New Jersey, so I can't really say we left the state of New Jersey. But we we left the <laughs> the let's say the one hour. This is the furthest away we have been from our home since this all started. Um, this is our was our first trip away overnight. It was a pleasure to see our pet sitter, Mark Blanchard. Mark, if you are listening, I, I know that the cats were delighted to see you again, although Clayton did seem a, a little – he was definitely very glad when we got home. We were only gone for two nights. Uh, Clayton was – you know, has gotten obviously very used to having us around a lot these days. And he definitely let me hear it. I, I got a big earful when I got home. Clayton yells at me a lot. Um, he's actually in the room right now, and he was yelling at me a little while ago. And and now, of course, he's being very quiet, and, and he's not going to show this side of himself to those of you who see his pictures online. And, oh, what a cute little kitty. And he is. He's the most adorable kitty. But I, I, I cannot lie. He yells at me. He yells at me all the time. And he definitely yelled at me when we got back. Uh, but so Lawrence and I went to... Cape May. And that is a a beach town at the southernmost tip of New Jersey and lots of lovely Victorian homes, a beautiful beach. It was my first time there. And the weather was just sunny and clear and gorgeous. We, We could not have asked for a nicer couple of days. And we were lucky we got to visit with some friends who who live in Cape May, who are also cat people. And and uh, Rachel, Julie, and Harry Shubin, if you guys are listening to this episode, thank you so much for your hospitality. And and so, you know, the, the Shubins are also cat people. I've actually known them. I, I met them early on in the publication history of Homer's Odyssey. Actually, Rachel Shubin, who was in high school at the time, uh, sent me an email asking to interview me for her high school newspaper. And and so that was a lot of fun, and and we have kept in touch over the years, and and so I got to see them for the first time in in several years, when Lawrence and I went to Cape May, and it was funny because um, Julie Shubin, uh, Rachel's mom, served us cheese and crackers on on a little kind of a, a, a cat dish. Uh, it has a like a cat, you know, dr- like a cartoon of a cat dressed in a chef's outfit in the middle of the plate. And the funny thing about it was that I have the exact same dish myself. It, it's kind of got black edges and, and it's a green background and then it's a black hat in a little chef's hat and an apron. And I explained that somebody else had given this plate to me as a gift. And, and Julie said the same thing, that somebody had given her the plate as a gift. And we were both talking and we realized just the sheer volume of gifts over the years that that people have given us that are in some way cat themed, uh, you know, little um, like samplers or, or or wooden placards to to hang in your kitchen that say things like "Behind every successful woman is a cat," or pot holders that that look like cats, or or a tissue dispenser um, that 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 looks like a cat's hiney and uh, cat's rear end. Uh, Tuchus would be the word in Yiddish, and. And we were wondering, and and so look, obviously there are people who collect these things, and I understand that. Uh, my nana, may she rest in peace, did not collect cat themed things, but she collected elephants, and so she had little carved elephants and things with elephants on them, and people knew this about her and and gave them to her. Um, 
But the Shubins and I were wondering, we could not help but wonder why it is that if you, as soon as you become a person with cats, everyone assumes that you collect things that have cats on them, that you, of course, were hoping that somebody would give you a a kitty cat salt and pepper shaker set or a, a set of measuring spoons with little cat ears on them or other such things, uh, you know, a little flag with pictures of cats to put on the front lawn of your house. People assume this about you. And I just wonder, you know, I grew up with dogs. My parents had dogs before I was even born. And my mother, you know, my they continued to have dogs and, until our last dog passed away a few years ago. My mother's not yet gotten another dog. I don't know that she will. That is a subject for a different podcast. But the point is, we're talking uh, well over 40 years of of living with dogs, of having dogs. And I don't think anybody ever once in that entire period gave my parents any dog-themed gifts or, or swag or, or T-shirts or or, you know, apron, like barbecue aprons or or anything like that. And look, I, again, I certainly, there there's no problem with, this stuff is all really fun, right? Cat-themed gifts are totally fun. And I'm actually in the business of purveying them to some extent. I, I not only write, so, I, you know, I have, in addition to my memoirs and, and things that, that I've written about cats, I also have some fun little gifty books about cats. I mean, that are there for, you know, people to buy and give as gifts to cat lovers. And also, if, if you head over to my website, and, and I realize this is a bit of a shameless tr- plug, but it's also true. If you go to my website, you can click on on the, the button that says fun merch or cool merch or, or something like that. And you can find any number of T-shirts and mugs and, and paraphernalia for suitable as gift for gift giving to the cat lover in your life. But by the same token, I, I have to wonder, and, and there again, there are people who love this stuff, but it seems to me that there is a general cultural assumption out there that anybody with a cat must also really be craving all of this cat-centric memorabilia and and like and any random piece of crap basically that that you put a picture of a cat on the cat lover in your life is going to say oh my god i've been dying for one of these and i'm just wondering why that is and and i know this is a subject i'm a little bit defensive on but I, I always come back to this idea of the crazy cat lady stereotype, or I know that obviously people who hoard animals, cats are, are among the more commonly hoarded animals, probably the most commonly hoarded. I, I, I guess logistically, it's just difficult to hoard dogs. Um, and, and as far as hoarding hamsters and, and guinea pigs, they would probably very quickly just overtake your whole house at the rate at which they reproduce. Um while there are yes, obviously there there's a certain subsection of of people who love cats who are also mentally ill, just like there is a certain subsection of people who love dogs or people who don't love animals at all who are have mental health challenges and I'm just wondering again i always I come back to this idea that I think people equate having cats or living with cats or loving cats as being in some way a little bit mentally askew, such that you cannot have enough cat-themed stuff in your life, that, that if you love cats, you, are, you don't just love cats, you're obsessed with cats. You cannot get enough of things with cats on them. And I, 
I don't know. I, I've known, again, I, I was a dog person growing up. I've known lots of cat people and lots of dog people. And I've known many people who are obsessed beyond what I would consider to be a healthy limit with their animals. I'm just not sure that that is really specific to cat people. I don't know. Uh, any insights you guys might have would be interesting. And, and if you are a person who has sent me something cat themed, please, I, I am. Not, please do not think that I am objecting. Um, I do. I will admit it. I love my little kitty cat socks and my little kitty cat mittens and my little kitty cat charm necklaces. I, I really do. Um and, and uh, you know, somebody who maybe doesn't know me well, like a reader who wants to, of course, they're going to send me something cat themed. I'm just wondering, like, why my mother-in-law, for example, who knew me for many years before I published Homer's Honesty and, and never gave me anything that was cat themed or that had cats on them. And, and then one day it was like anytime she saw something cat themed at, at Marshall's or, or TJ Maxx, it, it became mine. And, and, and I feel like now, see, now I'm straying into this territory where I am, I am potentially uh, going to get in trouble with my mother-in-law, uh, or at least with my husband. I don't know if my mother-in-law is going to listen to this. So I should probably quit while I am only slightly behind. Uh, but, but it is something I think about. It is something I wonder about. And, and again, this was something that, that the Shubins and I were comparing notes on while I was in Cape May. Just this tendency for your, your non-cat loving friends, let's say, to assume that, that you are just, uh, you know, praying and hoping to be buried in, in cat themed gifts. And, uh, and again, I, I feel that it does sort of come back to this, to this lazy and casual cultural, equation between loving cats and and some vague type of mental disorder um which is why you know we are crazy cat people but there aren't any crazy dog people out there maybe i'm just being too defensive maybe i i need to uh to loosen up and and just enjoy the kitty cat socks for what they are and and you know sometimes a kitty cat cigar is just a kitty cat cigar Anyway, uh, moving on to a more positive topic, however, I this is, of course, I, before going into answering reader questions, I would love to take a moment to once again thank my supporters on Patreon who enable me to keep this podcast and, and all of my projects uh, not only independent and free of traditional publishers, but also of any paid advertising or corporate sponsorships of any kind. Same thing with my social media accounts. Um, so thank you so much, as always, for your support. And uh, I'm going to read off just a few more names of my Patreon supporters at the $5 level or higher who get their monthly shout out on this podcast. If you have not heard your name yet in the month of June and you don't hear it today and you are a supporter at the $5 level or higher, I will read your name next week, the, the final week in June. So please rest assured you will get your shout out. And then we get to start the cycle all over again. But a big, big thank you to Linda Chase, who is actually a new Patreon supporter. So welcome aboard, Linda. Andrew Kaplan, Suzanne Dunaway, Catherine Larkland, Katie Williams, Eddie Green, Julie Burns, Rihanna Nicole, Kathy Mancini, Matthew O'Leary, Carol Lofton, Marianne Harding, Lisa Calarisi, Cindy Pierce, Dawn Brown, Christine Sorensen, Maddie Chitwood, Mark Blanchard, Irene Mall, and April Gutierrez. 
And again, I want to give a special shout out to Mark Blanchard, who is our pet sitter, who stays with Clayton and Fanny when Lawrence and I travel. Hopefully we'll be on the road and visiting more shelters once again soon. Um, And Mark actually, and I don't know how many people know this, but Mark was in the hospital for several months with COVID-19 and it was touch and go there for a while. So we are, of course, delighted that Mark is feeling better. He's back home. He's pet sitting again. He's visiting cats, which I know is the thing that makes him happiest in the world. And and we're just so happy, Mark, that you are doing better and feeling better. And please continue to take care of yourself because I, I know that there are many cats scattered throughout Jersey City and environs who would be, no kidding, who would be absolutely devastated if, if anything were to happen to you. And we are going to take a short break for about 30 seconds or so. And when we come back, I will be answering reader questions. So sit back, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. I'm delighted that you are still here with me. And I do want to clarify, by the way, that, you know, as we get into who is more or less or or too or not enough obsessed with their cats, that I, of course, write about cats and about my cats specifically for a living. Pretty much all I do when I'm not, you know, with friends or or doing something for my personal life, but what I do for a good eight to 10 hours on the typical day is just think about my cats. And I am very aware of this. So I would not want to seem as if I were trying to give the impression that that was not the case, um, just because I feel that not everybody giving a gift to a person who has cats has to get them something cat-themed. And with with all of those uh, provisos and, and apologies and whatnot out of the way, I'm going to move on to answering a couple of reader questions. So these are actually two questions that I'm going to answer today. And and these are questions that many different readers have written to me about over the past few weeks. So, so I'm not, I, I, and I'm sorry to say I'm not doing a, a name shout out for these two questions like I usually do, just because there are a lot of names uh, to go with both of these questions. And and so we would be here a while if, if I read all of the names. Uh, so so I assume that there are some of you, a few of you out there who are actually interested in, in the answers to these questions. Um, and, and the first one, it really has nothing to do with cats per se, but but asking me what I like to read and, and what books I would recommend. And of course, I am a voracious reader. I'm reading constantly. I, I really am always buying books, reading books. Um, once or twice a year, my husband and I will do a big stoop sale where we attempt and in in an attempt to keep the books from keeping from taking over our home, we will actually sell two or three hundred <laughs> of my books um, once or twice a year. I mean, but just to give you that, that we have that many books to sell, and yet we still have every square inch of space in this house that can hold a book is still holding a book. So even as we get rid of of that much volume of, of books. Um, there are still just a lot of books in this house. And uh, if, if, if I have any sort of a hoarding problem, it is not with cats, it is with books. Uh, but but 
you know, again, I, I do have the these periodic stoop sales, so it cannot be said that that I cannot get rid of books. Um, but I do I do keep bringing more books in anyway. So, you know, if you're asking me what what books I would recommend or what books I'm reading at any given time, then my guess is that you are probably either not subscribed to my newsletter or you're not reading the newsletter because every Friday in my newsletter, we have a feature called Clayton Looks at Books. And we have a picture and it features a picture of Clayton. It, it, it's a little newsletter item that I do every Friday. And it features a, a picture of Clayton actually looking at a book that I have recently completed and enjoyed. So, and that I'm recommending to people who read my newsletter. So, if you are looking for book recommendations from me that may be about cats or, or may not be about cats, that is probably your best bet. And I will also say, just as a little, uh, a little to, to sweeten the pot, as it were, if you are not currently, or even if you are currently on my mailing list, um, if you, when you join my mailing list, you can go to, and you can join by going to my website. Um, you will again see a tab that says join my mailing list. And when you join my mailing list, you will immediately receive a download of a free book about Homer and the gang. This is a, a new book about Homer and the other cats, and you can get it absolutely free just for joining my mailing list. If you are already on my mailing list, you can still get the free book. All you have to do is go through the process. Uh, you click the button. It takes you through the process that you go through to to sign up for my email list. Just go through that process. You can only be on my list one time. It automatically dedupes. So you can still download the book, and it's not like you'll end up on my mailing list twice. So anybody can get this free book. And this way, every Friday, you can see what I have just finished reading or what I'm in the middle of reading because Clayton will be looking at that book. And some books that Clayton has looked at recently and, and that I have recently enjoyed um, and, and you know, so what I would recommend at any given time, by the way, is always very seasonal, uh, but some fun summary kind of escapist reads that, that I have enjoyed recently. Uh, one that I just finished uh, about a week ago, it's called Theater for Dreamers. And it is a British novel. Uh, the, actually, the woman who wrote it is is the wife of, of one of the guys in Pink Floyd. And it is a novel set on the Greek island of Idra in 1960, when it was a very kind of bohem bohemian artist colony. Leonard Cohen, among other people, was living there as, as a young 25-year-old novelist. He was not even a musician yet. And those of you who are Leonard Cohen fans or who are aware of such things, this is the the summer and the island, the, the time and the place where he met Marianne, his famous muse, Marianne. And it's, it's a novel. It is a work of fiction. There are some real people in it, but ultimately it's a work of fiction. And it is just lovely and, and sentimental. But, and, and I mean that in the best possible way. It's, it's, and maybe sentimental is the wrong word. It's moving. And it also is the kind of book that you finish reading and you feel like you have just been on an exotic vacation. And it's still a little bit dicey to travel, especially internationally. So this may not be the summer when you are going to make it to a Greek island yourself. But this is the kind of book that you can read and feel as if you have done so. And it is called Theater for Dreamers. Uh, another book, actually, I just finished reading this a couple of days ago. It's called House of Beauty. And it's not a murder mystery per se, because you know pretty early on who the killer is. But it's a Colombian crime novel translated into English. The author's name is Melba Escobar. I do not believe she is in any way related to Pablo Escobar. Um, 
Although, honestly, it's not a book I would recommend. I I did not love it. I didn't think it was especially great. But it is Colombian. It is a Colombian crime novel centered around an elite high-end beauty salon. So, you know, the the milieu, the the setting is all very appealing. So, again, if if that's something you think might be, you might enjoy it more than I did. I didn't hate it. It was fine. It was an entertaining, you know, couple of days reading it. Um, but it's it's worth checking out if you like crime novels and you're maybe looking for something that's not going to be the same one that everybody else is reading. And that's called House of Beauty. I also recently read The Girl with No Shadow, which is a sequel to Chocolat. And I did not know that there you know, are actually three sequels to Chocolat. I, of course, saw the movie back in the 90s and read the novel and like everybody else, just fell in love with with the characters and and with the chocolate and with France. And so when I discovered quite by accident that there were three sequels to Chocolat, I, of course, immediately bought the first one and read it in, in about two days. I, I just devoured it in a couple of long sittings. And it, it's not quite as good or enchanting as Chocolat, but it was good. And it's definitely, it's such an easy read. It's a total escapist read. And a great story about mothers and daughters and France and chocolate. And if you loved Chocolat, then you certainly want to check out at least the first sequel to it. I haven't read any, read any of the other ones yet. But this one is is definitely worth your time. And, and like I said, just a very easy escapist read. And, and this one is set in Paris. And, you know, spending some time in, in a romantic story in Paris at, at a high-end chocolatier is really just never a bad way to to pass a summer weekend, and as, at least as far as this reader is concerned. And, and the last one, and this actually may or may not feature in an upcoming Clayton Looks at Books, but this is another one that I just recently finished reading. And it's called The Red Notebook, and this is a French novel in translation by an author named Antoine Lorraine. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that well. That's Antoine Lorraine. And the book is called The Red Notebook. And so it's a novel about a bookstore owner, a man who owns a small bookshop in Paris. And one day he finds a woman's purse, which does not have any ID in it but does have this little red notebook in which she has jotted down thoughts and ideas and, and you know, things about friends she has or books she has recently read or places she has recently been. And so very quickly, the, this notebook takes the bookshop owner uh, on a detective mission of sorts throughout Paris as he tries to go to places where this woman has been at read books that she's recently read in an attempt to try to find her. And and within a very short order, this detective mission becomes a, a romantic detective mission as he believes he may be falling in love with this woman whom he has never met. And and so just very much a delightful romantic comedy and, and truly lighter than a souffle, not at all demanding. Nothing in this book is going to put you in a bad mood or make you question the the general goodness of the world. And and it's a very it makes for a very nice walking tour of Paris. Uh, speaking of Paris, and and so these are a few books that I've read recently. Where if you're just looking for a good escapist summer read, something not too heavy, something that that's not going to bum you out as as we try to find optimistic ways forward coming out of out of this uh, the pandemic and all the trauma of the last year. Um, these are definitely some books that I've enjoyed recently and that I think some of you might enjoy as well. And none of them have cats in them, but they are good books nonetheless.
And and now I'm going to radically change subject and and bring it back to cats actually to answer this second question. And and let me just clarify by the way, you know, I've discussed on on recent podcasts that I am going to continue to do interviews in some of these episodes and some of the interviews will be with people who are well known or very well established in their fields and then some of these people will just be readers who have great stories and some of you have already started writing to me to tell me your rescue stories which is amazing and I love that and you should definitely continue to do so. And I'm also hearing from people who work with rescue organizations which is great which also is amazing because I love highlighting and and showcasing rescue on this show. And so one question that that I've gotten quite a few times is is you know asking me to talk about rescue organizations that I love. And I will first say that there are many rescue organizations that I do love that I have worked with directly that I've gone to visit in person to a point that I almost I I don't want to sit and make a list or even highlight a couple of them specifically um, what I would rather do is over the course of the next few weeks and months is to have people come on who who work with or volunteer with these organizations or who maybe have a great adoption story about an animal that who they adopted from one of these organizations to talk about them, because I feel that any list that I were to make would be incomplete. Having said that, what I am going to do is I'm going to talk about one organization that is particularly near and dear to my heart, and that is because it will forever be associated in my mind with Homer, and also what it is that that I look for in a rescue organization that I am going whose fundraising efforts uh, or or you know adoption efforts I will lend my name to or support the, the kinds of organizations that I like best. And I'm actually going to start with that last part first. So look, at the end of the day, any organization that is in the business of, of making the world a better and safer place for animals has my heart and has my support. And I, I definitely, when I talk about my preferences, my point is not to slam or disparage or in any way discourage anybody from supporting any organization that differs from what I describe. And I will also say that when it comes to large-scale disasters, when you're talking about earthquakes, hurricanes, things of that nature that displace a large number of people and animals, that there's definitely something to be said for the large organizations, the the humane societies, the ASPCAs, organizations like that who are able to come in and and just immediately initiate rescue efforts on a very large scale. And anyone who's read Homer's Odyssey will remember that following September 11th and, and in all the craziness of, of those ensuing days, that it was the ASPCA ultimately who played an integral role in helping me reunite with my cats. And I would never want to create even the appearance that I am not mindful of that. Having said that, for my money, what I really love to support myself and and this is something that that I think most people can look around and find in their own community are the small volunteer run, what I call the mom and pop shops of rescue organizations. And and so these are organizations, they are not affiliated with a large national network. They operate on a shoestring budget. If they do have a staff, it is certainly not a wealthy staff. It may not even be a full-time staff. You know, if they have a paid staff, chances are, a lot of the staff also have other jobs. 
and and that is really run with a great deal of of volunteer support and and love. Just very the, these very small organizations. Uh, some of them, uh, you know, I like a Friends for Life in Houston as a for example is a wonderful organization. Um, they have this beautiful state of the art facility. So I don't mean to describe necessarily something that exists, you know, in a trailer. Um, although then there is Help Humane in Kansas, which is a very small organization and and does operate, or at least when when I was there, does operate partially uh, from a trailer. And so there are all kinds of, of you know, different sorts of, of buildings and philosophies, and, and some have larger budgets than others. But these are all small and local organizations that really do depend upon their local communities for support. And I always have a feeling that the more invested an organization is, the more entrenched it is in its local community, the more it is going to serve that community, the more and the better, the more seriously it's going to take its mission to serve not just the animals, but the people of that community. And so if you're if you're writing into me and asking me what organization should you support, what organization would I recommend that you support, I would probably turn that around on you and say, what organization is right in your backyard doing work that you love and that you care about? And if you don't know the answer to that question, I would encourage you to look. Now, I realize that in in far too many cases, you may not have a local organization that fits that description. And it may not be realistic for you to say, you know what, there's not an organization like this already, but gosh darn it, I'm going to be the person to start one. That would be amazing if you did. But generally speaking, I would always encourage people to look close to home rather than looking to me for guidance. Again, it's one thing in an emergency, in, in a regional, in a region-specific emergency, I will always try to find an animal rescue organization on the ground and then encourage other people who listen to my podcast or who follow me on social media to, at this moment and for the purposes of this emergency, make a donation to this one organization. And again, Friends for Life a few years ago when that hurricane struck Houston and and just completely flooded it, Friends for Life was immediately who I reached out to and who I encouraged my followers to reach out to and to make donations to. Um, But generally speaking, I, I would say that the closer to home that you are able to keep your money and your efforts the better. And I do not mean that in any kind of, of a selfish way, like you should only be concerned with the welfare of animals within your zip code or, or your county or anything like that, very far from it. Uh, but I do feel, however, that the more that we all invest in these local organizations within our own communities that are trying to do good work, the, the, the better the, the entire picture nationwide or, or internationally Becomes And that might sound a little idealistic, but it is something that I really and truly do believe. Having said that, I will say that as far as national, not necessarily national organizations, but a non-region specific organization goes, of course, the one nearest and dearest to my own heart is Blind Cat Rescue and Sanctuary in St. Paul's, Minnesota. I'm sorry, Minnesota. North Carolina. Where did I get Minnesota from? North Carolina. And I mean, this is for many reasons, obviously, but for starters, Blind Cat Rescue 
is one of only two organizations in the country that is specifically dedicated to rescuing blind cats. And when I was first working on the proposal for Homer's Odyssey and and just getting rejected by publishers right and left for for every reason and and no reason basically um it was it was never the writing it, it never seemed to be the writing there were just a, a lot of editors who did not think that this was a good idea or that there would be any sort of universal appeal to a story about a blind cat or that there was anything special enough about the story and so i decided to do some research and see if i could find out how many people in the us lived with a blind cat because I thought maybe I could use that number to, to to sort of prove that there was this built-in audience for a story about a blind cat, for a book about a blind cat. And I was ultimately never able to find that number, but in the course of, of trying to do some research, I ended up speaking with Alana Miller at Blind Cat Rescue. I, I just called her cold uh, right out of the blue and uh, told her what you know what I was working on and and about my cat and and about what my hopes for a book like this would be in in bringing attention to the plight of special need special needs animals who are who so frequently languish in shelters or are killed euthanized immediately because there's a sense that they are unadoptable and and so even before you know at a moment when I was really at a crossroads and I was wondering if maybe this was just a bad idea and I should quit Alana really helped kind of light, relight the fire under me and, and really fired me up with this idea that if I wrote this book and, and it made any difference at all in the lives of, of even, you know, the life of even one blind cat, if one blind cat was saved because I had written a book like this, then it would be worth the effort. And, and it was the first time where I thought of it in those terms that in addition to telling what I thought would be a great story for animal lovers, that, that it might in some way do some good. And and that was a a very you know not to not to puff myself up too much and and obviously it's ultimately the, the real good is done by people on the ground who get their hands dirty and roll up their sleeves and do good work. But I, I it, it did make me feel that there was actually something worth fighting for in this book besides my own stubbornness or my own desire to write a book like this, and and so it helped me renew you know, go in with a renewed sense of purpose. And of course, the rest is history. And I actually kicked off the paperback launch. I did a small tour for the paperback launch of Homer's Odyssey. And that kicked off at Blind Cat Rescue and Sanctuary in North Carolina. And I was finally able to meet Alana in person and to visit the facility and to meet the blind cats. And I have to say, so I've been to so many shelters and rescue organizations since Homer's Odyssey was published that it, it's hard to remember now that there was a point in my life in which the only blind cat I had ever seen was Homer. But that very much was the case when I first went to Blind Cat Rescue and Sanctuary. And it wasn't the first, let's say, shelter that I had spoken on behalf of. I had already spoken at some shelter fundraisers, but they had not taken – they were – there were – there was nothing that was done on site at the shelters themselves. So this was my first shelter visit with Homer's Odyssey. And and again, and Homer was the only blind cat I had ever seen. And so I walked in and it's a cage-free facility. There are different rooms and, and the cats live in different rooms depending on their personalities and, and who they get along with. And just to walk into room after room with so many cats who looked like Homer. And when I say they looked like Homer, 
they were, of course, all very different. You know, they were all shapes and sizes and colors and, and some were chubby tabbies and, and some were, were skinny little gingers and, and some were Siamese and, and, you know, they really did run the gamut, but their faces all looked like Homer's face and, and Homer was still with us at, at the time, but even still just to walk into a room with so many cats who, who looked like Homer was such, an emotional experience for me. And and it's one of those things where even now, and it's and it's more than 10 years later, but I, I I can still remember very vividly what that feeling was like. The, the way they moved their little heads, just the way Homer did when they were trying to figure out where something was, the that that little, you know, the, the the way that they kind of turned their ears from side to side or or tilted their heads from side to side is you know, they, they were trying to, to zero in on a sound and, and figure out what was happening in the absence of vision. It, it was all so much like Homer. And and it was just a, a really overwhelming emotional experience for me. And I would encourage anybody who has a blind cat or who cares about blind cats, it, it, it's almost like a, like a great pilgrimage to make if you have not been to blind cat sanctuary. Um, you should look into the possibility, especially now that we are coming out of quarantine, of making that visit. It was a profoundly moving experience for me, and I think it it might be for you as well, especially if you are the 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 guardian and caretaker of a blind cat yourself. But that is one organization that I will call out specifically, one that will always have a very special place in my heart. And if there is not a local organization that you feel in your neck of the woods that you feel very strongly about and you're looking, but you're looking for something that isn't a a huge national organization, then I would encourage you to consider sponsoring a cat at Blind Cat Rescue and Sanctuary for sure. And having said that, I am going to, if you work for another rescue organization, if you, you know, if you've recently written to me about or from another rescue organization and you're listening to this and, and you're a little miffed with me that I'm not mentioning your organization or I haven't talked about it yet, I am going to do so. Uh, I am actually going to do this. I'm going to start, like I said, highlighting and showcasing various individual organizations over the coming weeks and months and and talking with people and and so if you do work with or volunteer with one of these organizations you know small community grassroots like i say the mom and pop shop of rescues the the kind of thing that that runs on on uh, duct tape and and spit and love uh by all means feel free to reach out again my website is gwencooper.com there is a contact form there and i would certainly love to hear from you and on that note i'm going to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast but thank you so much for listening and for taking your time and hanging out with me and i will see you next week for another all new episode And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.